Awesome. Thank you, Karin. Uh, this is very important for me personally to be here for worship today. I am a proud citizen, still wearing my uh, voting sticker from yesterday from Elmhurst City Hall, but I need a daily reminder at this point um, that it's not the soul of America that's on the line, it's not the destiny of our country that truly matters, uh, but to be in the presence of God, our King forevermore, who holds all of our souls and the destinies of heaven and earth, and to worship him and experience him, that is what it is all about. So for sermons for these next three weeks, uh, we are going to dwell with a very short little book called uh, Philemon and hold that together because Philemon had a, uh, really a dilemma of his own 2,000 years ago with some of our current political dilemmas. Um, Philemon is a book that was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote 13 of the books in the New Testament. Uh, we know quite a bit about him. Philemon, this guy, we know relatively little about. Um, it's kind of fun, P-H-U-N, that his name starts with P-H, uh, so in the spirit of some playfulness, some P-H words will be showing up with a little greater frequency uh, these next few weeks as well. But Philemon was one of the very first Christians, a convert, and he was the host of one of the very first Christian churches, probably in a city in modern-day Turkey called Colossae, um, the book Colossians was written to that church. Um, Philemon, we also know, was a person of means. He had a big enough house to host a home church. Uh, he would have had servants and slaves. That might strike us as a little odd. 2,000 years later, that reality will be front and center uh, in next week's message. There is a very strange thing about Paul's letter to Philemon. Uh, there is no mention of Jesus' death or resurrection in Paul's words to Philemon. So it's a short little letter. You can read it out loud in three minutes or less. Did that a whole bunch of times this week. Um, but why could it be that a book in the New Testament, gospel always pointing to Jesus, how could it be that one of Paul's letters doesn't mention Jesus' death and resurrection? It is so significant that we not only as Christians know the right stuff, not only that we believe the right stuff, but that we find a way to live out the right stuff. And that is what the book of Philemon is all about. It's written to a person who already believes the right things, knows the right things, but is facing a major dilemma that is going to challenge Philemon's strength uh, to live the right things. So the church, in all times and places, is meant to be a preview of God's coming kingdom, his new creation. The church is meant to be a new community where people's lives and society is mended and transcended. The church is supposed to be a place where rich and poor, where that divide is mended and transcended. Male and female, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, black and white, young and old, all of those social differences mended and transcended by following Jesus together. Native and immigrant, liberal and conservative, Republicans and Democrats, like the way of Jesus is so good, it is strong enough to mend and transcend all of those differences. And don't we need some more of that today, right? Don't we need more of that? Here's how Paul's letter to, the, to Philemon begins. We're going to read only the first seven verses for today. Paul starts, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, and also to Aphia, probably his wife, our sister, and Archippus, maybe their son, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever the Apostle Paul wrote a letter, the opening words are kind of like an overture in which the big themes are anticipated. So Paul identifies himself uh, of his 13 letters here, the one and only time, not as an apostle, not as a servant of Jesus, but he calls himself a prisoner. He's going to make a big ask of Philemon, but he identifies himself not in terms of a position of power or authority, but in a position of weakness and humility. I am a prisoner writing to you, Philemon, is how Paul begins. It's um, also a little unusual that Paul identifies a co-sender, uh, his protege, a young man that he was mentoring, Timothy, as also being behind this letter. So the way Paul introduces himself starts with humility and makes it clear that this is not just a private thing between Paul and Philemon, uh, but this is going to be a public thing with social implications. Those re that relational dynamic is uh, reflected in the words in yellow on the screen. Paul chooses to identify Philemon as his dear friend. Old translations use the word beloved, and they call him a fellow worker. They call Archippus a fellow soldier, and Paul brings up the reality that there's a, a house church, um, a social group that meets in Philemon's home. All of that um, underlines the public and social nature of what's going to happen in this letter. So Paul calls Philemon his dear friend. I think this is a lovely way for Christians to identify one another as dear friends, if I can call you that over the live stream lens today. Um, to make this a little more real on the day-to-day and -day American front, I also think this is a lovely way for ourselves as fellow Americans to identify our friends and neighbors. So yesterday I was downtown at Elmhurst City Hall. Uh, my wife Sarah and I had both filled out ballots ahead of time. I was bringing them there simply to drop off. Showed up about 12.30 in the afternoon. There was a huge long line of folks who were queuing up socially distanced outside of City Hall. And uh, I faced a little dilemma thinking to myself, like, oh my goodness, um, do I cut to the front of the line to drop off this ballot? Or is this a moment to, like, given like, the hard feelings that many of us have and uh, maybe the anxiety of the voting process at this point, to play it cool and wait a half hour just to put this in a Dropbox? So there was a woman near the front of the line who saw me, I think, mentally hemming and hawing a little bit, and she motioned me up and kind of read my body language correctly and was like, hey, do you have a ballot just to drop off? Um, talk to this woman right inside the door. Um, so what a lovely gesture. What kind citizenry and friendship. Stepped inside the door, the woman on the inside could not have been more polite. It was a little bit maze-like in Elmhurst City Hall, up and down staircases. Uh, everybody I interacted with in the two minutes that I was indoors was super kind, super polite. Um, maybe I've been watching too much news, reading <laughs> uh, too many uh, internet posts lately, but folks were lovely. After I dropped our ballots off, um, I was exiting maybe at the same time as five or six other people. I simply held the door open, so in this coronavirus era, everybody else wouldn't have to touch the door. Each person like, looked me in the eye from behind their mask and offered a big warm thank you. Uh, it really was a lovely experience as an American citizen. I came away from that thinking, like, if this is who we are, uh, why is more of our public life not like this? 
because I'm pretty confident that 50% of the people in the building were voting one way, and 50% in the building were voting the other way. But our linkage and friendship over simply the act of exercising our citizenship was enough to create uh, at least friendship for that day. Paul leans into this dynamic further in the next few verses of the letter to Philemon. He says this, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I heard about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. And I pray that your partnership, it's a crucial word, that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because of you, Brother Philemon. You have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So that word in yellow there, partnership, uh, we might say fellowship. Uh, the Greek word there, which occasionally we'll hear in English, is the word koinonia. Uh, if you haven't heard that word before, that's one of the handful of biblical words that I would recommend to your own vocabulary. Koinonia is this awesome word of being in relationship, partnership, fellowship, trust. Um, when Paul talks about sharing the same heart as Philemon, he not only uses the Greek word for heart on one occasion, he also uses the Greek word for guts. Uh, it's a harder word to pronounce, splankna, that they're sharing the same like guts or intestines as they serve Jesus together. The most awesome thing about koinonia or the partnership that Paul is describing and calling forth in Philemon's mind and heart here is that it is an action word. Koinonia isn't something where you're just like standing around side by side like, hey, isn't it great to be friends? Koinonia is the kind of partnership that puts things into action, that puts things into motion. There's an um, old Southern Baptist song, which is literally called Koinonia, uh, I don't know that we've ever sung it at Elmhurst CRC, but this song, Koinonia, has this lyric. How can I say that I love the Lord, whom I've never ever seen before, and forget to say that I love the one who I walk beside each and every day? It's a great action song. Like, it's great to say that you love God, but if we're not putting in this into practice by loving and embracing the folks around us, what does it really mean? Indeed, that is what Paul is getting at by bringing up the topic of koinonia here. Verse 6 uh, is a very awkward and tough verse to translate. I'm going to put in a little more pointed translation than the New International Version that I read just a couple minutes ago. Paul says this, I pray that the partnership of your faith may be active in the knowledge of everything good among us for Christ. It is clear from the very beginning of this letter, Paul is going to ask Philemon to do something, to put something in motion, to do the hard thing in Jesus' name. To bring it back to America for a moment, I want to point out a couple lovely spots where folks um, just in the last week have done uh, some pretty cool acts of friendship and koinonia, not on a big spiritual level, but on a simple citizenship kind of level. So Kyle Olson just uh, sent me a story yesterday um, told by a guy named Brian McLaren, who's a Christian theologian. He lives out on the West Coast near Portland, and uh, he was gathering together with some other folks um, for something called Vote Common Good. I'm not Rec making any political recommendations here to get Vote Common Good is actually an evangelical organization that is trying to encourage Christian people to
to vote for Joe Biden. That part is neither here nor there. I'll try to balance this out in a minute, okay? They were gathering, and uh, a crowd of protesters um, who would like to encourage folks not to vote for Joe Biden uh, gathered on the other side of the street. Police set up some orange cones. There's this literal physical divide. And a woman named Christine, who was with Brian McLaren, uh, had a box of piping hot Dunkin' Donuts. And Christine wrote that it occurred to her uh, that scene after Jesus' resurrection, where Jesus shared a simple breakfast on the shore of the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and kind of how their eyes were open and the good that came from that. So she took this box of donuts, crossed the line of orange cones, and offered them to the people who were protesting her organization. So here's the thing about human beings. Almost everybody loves donuts. So of course, these donuts disappeared like pretty much immediately. And rather than shouting across the line and making possibly rude gestures, this box of donuts like mended and transcended the moment so that people were laughing and saying thank you and reaching out instead. Just a few hours later, this favor was totally repaid because a woman on the opposite side of the orange cones from Christine came into a big uh, uh, crate of bottled water, flavored water from a local 7-Eleven, and rather keeping these all for her own people, she crossed the orange cone line and shared uh, waters with the folks who are on exactly the opposite side of the political spectrum. Like, it's cool that we have political differences. Jesus does not call us to be of one thought in mind in terms of our political preferences. However, he does call us to love unconditionally. And it's remarkable when people who bear the name of Jesus do simple acts like that for fellow citizens, even if there's political hostility. Another sign of hope in our United States of America these days um, just this week, um, a new Supreme Court justice was confirmed. Again, I'm not saying anything about who she is or recommending that you feel a particular way. But when I saw quick footage of that confirmation, um, Judge Clarence Thomas, Justice Clarence Thomas, um, swore new Supreme Court Justice Amy Comey Barrett in. And when I saw the images of that, not even hearing any audio, it made me a little more proud to be an American. Again, nothing about political preferences. Here was my thought. I know about Clarence Thomas, that he was born uh, in the South to parents who were sharecroppers during a Jim Crow era, a dark period of our country's history. And he's the first African-American Supreme Court Justice. Amy Comey Barrett is a middle-aged uh, mother of seven. This is a first for us. Like, this reality could not have happened 100 years ago that an African-American man would be swearing in a middle-aged mom to be co-members of the highest court in the land. We have a long way to go in terms of getting on and agreeing, but I take little glimpses of that as the way it should be, that the color of our skin, our gender, um, our particular preferences are not the most leading and defining thing about us. I have a kid who lives in Spain. Here's what I know from her friends and associates. Of the superpowers of the strongest countries in the world right now, young people in Spain 
would love to come to the United States of America. There's very little talk in her circles of folks who are really longing to immigrate to Russia. Nothing against Russia. Who are really longing to immigrate to China. Nothing against China. All I'm saying is that for all our problems, for all our apparent sad divisions in these United States right now, um, folks around the world still look at us and see something noble and something strong and something uh, that they are drawn to. That's only koinonia on a citizenry level. What Paul describes is koinonia on an infinitely more important level, on a spiritual level, on a Jesus level. Now, koinonia was not originally Paul's idea. Jesus prayed for the unity, for the fellowship, for the koinonia of his followers in John chapter 17. I'm going to read just uh, a couple lines from his prayer. You, I commend John chapter 17 for your noon devotions. Uh, it's pretty, pretty deep stuff, Jesus' longest prayer. This is what Jesus prayed for in the hour of his betrayal and right before he faced his suffering and death. Holy Father, I pray for those who will believe in me. He's praying for us in the future, not just the 12 disciples, for those who will in the future believe in me, that all of them may be one as we are one. Jesus prayed this for followers of his in the first century. Jews and Gentiles, Samaritans, women, men, slaves, free men, tax collectors, soldiers, that all of those groups may be one as Jesus and his Father are one. And Jesus could see down the corridor of history already, and he was praying this for people like us, people walking his path 2,000 years later, that we may be one. Single folks, married folks, immigrants, Natives, white, black, brown, middle class, wealthy, Democrat, Republican, that we may be one as Jesus and his Father are one. Does that seem impossible? That seems like a tall order of a prayer. Could it be possible that we can acknowledge all our differences, maybe even embrace them, and still, in Jesus' name, love each other unconditionally? That is what Paul is asking of Philemon, and that is what Jesus is asking of us today. To disagree politically and to love unconditionally. Jesus does not want to let anything divide us, and Jesus does not want to let anyone divide us. This is what he prayed for from his heart of hearts, with his sweat, with his blood 2,000 years ago. So as one of your pastors, uh, I am proud to be part of a church like Elmhurst CRC these days. In our midst, there are folks from all across the political spectrum. My guess would be probably 45% of our church votes Democrat, 45% of our church votes Republican, and 10% has thrown their arms up in the air and is voting Libertarian or something else. It's cool that we can be in a place where those political differences have the power to be mended and transcended because we are doing something more important together. We have something more important that binds us together than politics. 
I'm proud to be part of a church that in 2021 that is literally home to not only folks that were born in the United States of America, but folks who were born in at least 10 different European countries, at least a handful of different South American countries, a handful of different African countries. It is amazing what the Holy Spirit is doing in our time to bring people from all corners of the earth and walks of life, even in local congregations like our own, to be even small reflections of how big and beautiful the wider body of Christ is. And this is because walking with Jesus mends and transcends any human difference that we could think of. I would like to recommend, in the spirit of koinonia being an action word, two behaviors for you, and uh, we'll put this into action, into prayer in just a moment. Number one is to join with the spirit of Jesus in praying uh, that we might be one as Christians this very week in following and pointing to Jesus, that we may be one even this election week in following and pointing to Jesus. There are going to be things that bother you. Tuesday night might last forever. Things might turn into uh, short-term chaos uh, if the election results are not clear. And we will keep praying that we might be one in following and pointing to Jesus even in the midst of this. Second thing that we can do is to look for opportunities to love unconditionally preferably someone that you disagree with politically. Uh, That's why I really wanted to tell a couple of these stories of folks sharing donuts, folks sharing bottles of water. Uh, It doesn't have to be some big, huge thing, but some small sign that maybe even this week, perhaps on Tuesday, perhaps on Wednesday, that you can demonstrate love and affection, particularly for someone that you disagree with politically. This is the way of Jesus, who came from heaven to earth when we would not receive him, when we would not agree with his agenda, when we would not adopt his mission, and yet he loved us unconditionally and prayed for our unity. In just a moment, we have the opportunity to go to Jesus' table, which indeed transcends all of our differences. Uh, As we go there, let us pray and reflect the things that are in Jesus' heart and his agenda for us these days. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your fellowship, for your partnership, for your koinonia with us by coming from heaven to earth to walk among us and in our shoes, to bear our sin, to receive our death and turn it around and share with us everlasting life. Lord, we repeat the words of your own prayer that you will make us one as your followers, even as you and the follower are one. And Holy Spirit, whisper to us this week and use us as your agents, as your ambassadors to do the little acts of love and kindness that signal that we are indeed all in this together. God, we are all your sons and daughters, and we thank you for the privilege of coming to your table and being strengthened today. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Hey, again, if you're at home, uh, you can pause the live stream, collect some bread and some crimson drink. Um, We will wait for you. Would love it if you would join me with these words of preparation. Uh, You can read along 
the words in yellow. The Lord be with you and also with you. So lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, and after he had given thanks to God, he broke it in the presence of his disciples and gave it to them, saying, This bread is now my body, which is given for you. As often as you eat of it, do this and remember me. So I invite you, wherever you are, to take a piece of bread, to remember Jesus and his prayer for our unity, and that he has given his bread, his body, to mend and transcend all our differences and give us a common food. Let's eat together. After they had eaten the meal together, Jesus took the cup, poured it out in their presence, and said, this cup is now a new covenant, a new promise for you, given in my blood. As often as you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. So wherever you are, I invite you to take and drink and remember the sacrifice of Jesus' blood on the cross to wash away all of our sins and diseases and sad divisions and to make us one. Let's drink together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these simple gifts and we pray that though they are ordinary elements, that through our communion with you, that you will empower us uh, to truly be one and bear witness to you this week. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. We're going to sing a final song together that leans into this uh, idea of koinonia. Literally uses the words, my friends, my friends, may you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's lift up our voices. (laughs) 